Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. They know the ins and outs of everywhere we're going. They will protect you. Horses, run! And they just like, <laughs> block. I was like, what? <laughs> I feel like I got a great break on a used car. <laughs> I, I, I thought that, was, I, that was a great, great quote. <laughs> this is war, Marcus. He's going to the bathroom. Are you in his house, you little psycho? <laughs> Get the f- get out of there! Look, it's a giant womb! Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. What's going on? Nothing. I was at the supermarket the other day and I accidentally bumped into a guy, put two fingers on his uh, neck and then like hissed at me. Thought it was kind of weird. Yes, uh, that is a popular, popular uh, thing to do amongst the podcasting world, if you remember uh, correctly back in the day. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We are doing Eastern promises today. I'll give you a quick synopsis and then I will discuss the facts. We'll get into what we thought. This is actually Butler's first time seeing this film. So I'm a little, in- I'm interested in hearing what he has to say. That's correct, right? It's your first time it is we indeed, talked about yeah. last week. Cool. Uh, Nikolai, who is both ruthless and mysterious has ties to one of the most dangerous crime families in London. He crosses paths with Anna, a midwife who has come across potentially damaging evidence against the family, which forces him to set in motion a plan of deceit, death, and retribution. Uh, that's okay. I mean, mm. it's a it's a synopsis to get you through the door. Let's put it that way. True. It's probably not one that's accurate, but it's one that's hey, let's uh, let's watch, let's check this film out. So, Eastern Promises has a runtime of a hundred minutes. It's rated R. Production budget of $50 million. Now I had to uh, figure that out because it was 25 euros or 25 pounds, 25 million pounds, 25 million euros when I checked. So I had to put in the old conversion chart there. So that's 50 million. I know, right? Came out on Friday, September 21st, 2007. Opening weekend, it did, excuse me, opening weekend, it did $5.6 million. Uh, domestic, it did 17 million, and then worldwide, it did 56 million dollars. So, I mean, for a Cronenberg film, this is probably actually a hit considered a hit. Mm. Uh, Cronenberg films don't usually t- technically do great in the box office. Um, so I said it came out on the 21st, that's actually its wide release date, its limited release date was the 14th, but that was barely in theaters. So, and that did about 547 thousand dollars that weekend. So, that's not really. You know, the limited release day was just a couple theaters here and there. So that's why I, I opted for the wide release date of September 21st. Mm. On the 21st, it went up against in a wide release Resident Evil Extinction, which is that the one where they're in Vegas? Yeah, it's the third one. I stopped watching after the second one. The second one was when they they're in the city, right? The second one was Raccoon City. Yeah. With the nemesis or whatever. These are the Resident Evils with uh, Mila Jovovich. This is not the new ones, not the new one that came out. 
Right, which so came just, out and then just, disappeared. Right, just and, so people know. And now there's a Netflix series. It'll never end. Love it. That's right. That's right. You also had Good Luck Chuck and Sydney White. And in a limited release that week, you had The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. What a pretentious title. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember when it came out and I watched it and I was just like, oh, this title is way too long. Yep. <laughs> you also had in a limited release that week, The Jane Austen Book Club and Into the Wild. You know, it was a pretty busy uh, weekend. That's so 21st of uh, September. The 28th, which is a week after, you had The Game Plan. I believe that's with Dwayne Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kingdom, Feast of Love. In the Valley of Ila, or Ila, excuse me, and then limited release Outsourced and Lust Caution. And then the week before the 14th and a wide release, you had The Brave One. That was the Jodie Foster kind of Death Wish kind of movie. Uh, I believe it's written by the same guy that wrote Death Wish. I think we talked, not Death, yeah, I think we talked about this a long time ago on it, or uh, maybe not one on our podcast, but on another podcast, I believe. That was the same writer as Death Wish? I want to say we talked about the writer. And I know something. we did talk about the brave one briefly on the podcast once, but I can't remember what the topic was. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't the movie death wish that he, that we discussed. It was another film that he might've been part of the head that was very similar to death wish. And I can't, I, for the life of me, I cannot remember that, that, that tells you we've done way too many episodes because I can't <laughs> remember what we talked about. You also had a wide release on the 14th dragon wars D war. That sounds terrible. And Mr. Woodcock. In a limited release with Silk, Across the Universe, King of California, December Boys, and Ira and Abby. A lot of films. That's lots, for September. That's films. a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, this is 2007. So you had like five movies come out every weekend. So it makes sense. And plus September's right after the summer. So they're probably just putting movies out there. Like Ira and Abby is a New York film. So that probably was limited in, the, in New York City and LA. Mm-hmm. Easter Promises production company was BBC Films, Chorus Entertainment. Telefilmed Canada, Kudos Pictures, Serendipity Point Films, and Scion Films. And then it was distributed by Pathé Distribution in the United Kingdom and Focus Features in the U.S. I mentioned it before. This is directed by David Cronenberg, who has done Scanners, The Dead Zone, The Fly, A History of Violence, which I really like, and Crimes of the Future. That is his new film that's coming out. Uh, it's I out. Believe, is it out? It was, it's out even it out while week? we're recording this. It came nice. out a couple weeks ago. I do want to watch that. I know uh, Mortensen's in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to watch that. Written by Stephen Knight, who has done the TV show Peaky Blinders, Pawn Sacrifice, Allied, Spencer, the uh, Diana film. And he was nominated for an Oscar for writing Dirty Pretty Things. Uh, cinematography was Peter Shoshitsky. Oh, boy. Shoshitsky. <laughs> I, I honestly think I said it right the first time, but <laughs> he t- he did uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the original Empire Strikes Back. I don't know if you've heard of that. And Mars Attacks. No. <laughs> Composer was Howard Shore, who was nominated for two Oscars for um, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. He won two times for that film. And then he also won for Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. He was nominated for an Oscar for Hugo. And he also did Nobody's Fool, which is a movie we did uh, a long, time, a long, long time ago, maybe a couple seasons ago, mm-hmm. I believe. Edited by Ronald Sanders, who did The Fly, Naked Lunch, Johnny Mnemonic, and Coraline. And produced by Robert Lantos and Paul Webster. Lantos has done Crash, Being Julia, and Crimes of the Future, like we just talked about. And Webster has, was nominated for an Oscar for the movie Atonement. He also produced Charlotte Gray and The Yards, to name a few. So Viggo Mortensen, not a big cast uh, in this film, which I was uh, 
that didn't shock me, but it, it kind of surprised me, I guess. Viggo Mortens is a Nikolai. He was actually nominated for an Oscar for this film for Eastern Promises. We'll play the Oscar game later, but it's a pretty <laughs> easy one. You'll, you'll, know, you'll know who won. Uh, he was also nominated for Captain Fantastic, Green Book, and obviously you might, you, everyone probably knows him from, as Aragon from Lord of the Rings trilogy. Naomi Watts as Anna. Uh, she was nominated for an Oscar for 21 Grams and the movie The Impossible, which I really, I recommend. I really like that film. She was also in Mulholland Drive and The Ring. Vincent Castle, uh, or is it Cassell? Probably I think Cassell, it's Cassell. Right? Yeah, Cassell is Kareel. Uh, he was in uh, Oceans 12 and 13. He's in Elizabeth, Black Swan, and Child 44. Armin Mueller Stahl as Simeon. He was nominated for an Oscar for the movie Shine. He's also in Angels and Demons, The 13th Floor, and The Game. Donald Sumter as Yuri. He is in The Constant Gardener, In the Heart of the Sea, uh, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Sinead Cusack as Helen. This is uh, Anna's mother. She's in, right? She's her mother, right? And then Stepan is her uncle. Is that, that's accurate, uh, right? Her mother or I her aunt. Her. I, I don't know. Yeah, okay. So she's in V for Vendetta and Wrath of the Titans and uh, Jersey Skolomowski or Mowski, excuse me. This is this play Stepan. He's actually a uh, director. Uh, he directs a lot of films, but he was in the Avengers, but he, the, this is the one credit I have here. Cause I, I noticed that he's got a movie coming out or it's out already called EO and it's about a donkey. He's a Polish director. So these are, this, that's a Polish film. It's a movie about a donkey that like meets all people, like is going on some kind of trip and is just meeting people. So I, I was, I was kind of interested in that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you had a couple of people, uh, you, you had a couple, not cameos, but small parts. You had. Raza Jaffrey as Dr. Aziz. He was in the beginning. He's in the TV show Homeland, MI5. It's another TV show and the movie The Rhythm Section. And then the voice of Tatiana was actually Tatiana Maslany, who was from the TV show Orphan Black and the TV show that nobody wants to watch, She-Hulk, that's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I figured I figured that would um, that would get your uh, get you all riled up. So bad. looks so bad. <laughs> all right. So before we get into what you thought about the film, let's do the Oscar game, which I'm going to tell you right now, you already won. So we already know you won. So he, <laughs> he was nominated for Best Actor for the 2008 Awards, and he went up against George Clooney for Michael Clayton, Johnny Depp for Sweeney Todd, Daniel Day-Lewis for There Will Be Blood, and Tommy Lee Jones for In the Valley of Eli. Oh, I, wonder, I wonder who yeah. won. Yeah, I feel like it might be uh, the milkshake guy. There you go. Daniel Day-Lewis, <laughs> yeah. Great film. Great film. And a great, great performance. I but. drink your milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I couldn't get right, enough so, of that after like that movie came out. <laughs> That's all everybody was saying. Of course, of, that monologue is probably still done for uh, auditions for and stuff. Like, yeah, oh yeah, oh. for cold reads and stuff like that. Or not cold reads, but coming in prepared. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. All right, so this is your first time seeing it. What did you think? Off, off, right off the top, uh, it was not what I expected. Uh, it was far less disgusting and violent than I thought for a Cronenberg film. I was really like, especially when the uh, Tatiana gives birth, you know, and she loses or she dies, but the baby survives and the fetus comes out or the, uh, it's not a fetus anymore. It's an infant. I was like, all right, we're getting some Cronenberg stuff. And you get a little bit of that with some of the fingers getting chopped off of the dead frozen body. A mm -hmm. uh, couple of I mean, the throat cuts are pretty par for the course in a movie like this. And then you get the, uh, mm -hmm. the bath house fight, which is... You know, it's kind of cool. It's interesting, but you don't get it's a whole lot. For. Like you don't get any more violence. I was really figuring Cronenberg usually likes to gross out his audience and he was kind of playing it straight here. And it's also not the story I expected. It was a lot more subdued, even story wise. than I think I was expecting it to. Really? So, so you had 
you had anticipations going in and, and, and expectations, as you say, uh, about what you were, what you were going to see. And then it didn't live up to those expectations or it was just different. It was different. I, I was waiting for shock and awe and I just kind of got a pretty straightforward story. I was waiting, also waiting for a twist, which you do get a little bit of a twist at the very end um, regarding Viggo Mortensen's character, but I was expecting a twist in the actual kind of mystery in itself as well. And you don't really get that. It's kind of played from the beginning, you know, uh, it's uh, Kirill's dad is the one that raped Tatiana and he's the father of the baby. None of that stuff is exposed later on. It's all said right up front. Um, which makes for a more interesting movie because you're not really trying to solve the case, um, which is different than most films, but also leads me like it left me thinking the movie was kind of meandering. I was wondering what the end game was for the film. Do you think that Nikolai Mortensen's character knew immediately that the baby was Simeon's was the, but was the boss? Um, if he didn't know it was Simeon's, I think he definitely knew it wasn't, it couldn't have been Kirill's. Like, there's no way, because I think he's so close. He knows Kirill is gay. gay so yeah, I, I think he knew from the start that something was a little off there. Yeah. So for people who don't listen to our show regularly, we don't, we spoil. So if you haven't seen this film, we're going to spoil a lot of stuff in the movie. So don't, don't hold us to that. Because like I said, we, we do this all the time. We honestly, this movie's, 20 no this movie is 12 years no wow 13, 13. 14, i can't do the math 13, 13 years, years old. old yeah so no it's not this movie is 2008 what do we say 2007 no it's 15 years old so this movie's 15 years old i mean if i mean that's that's well past the statutes of limitations <laughs> of you uh not seeing this film but anyways uh you really the, the twist at the end in terms of how he's a undercover cop or undercover He's still from the Russian office. They call him Russian an FSB desk. agent, I think they he's call him. He's an FSB agent, yeah. yes. But he's working in London in conjunction Junction with, with Russia. London's, Russia's office. Right. Yes. So it's not like he's somebody who's not Russian. He's He grew up in Russia. Right. The only time you can ever, and you, they kind of do it really quick, was when they first find the dead body and they find the list of the, the paper. And it's his, it's his, he, it's his, he's submitting his report with the dead body that they dump at the beginning of the movie. Right. That is so quick. And Yuri, when Yuri sees the photo, he kind of smiles a little bit, but it's so fast. And I never go back to it that you, you forget about that. I totally just until you just brought it up. I totally forgot. Yeah. So you never know that that had that, that he basically shows his hand saying like he's a cop. Yep. And it's the only time until he's in the hospital at the end. So I think that while it is a twist, they do kind of reference it. So it doesn't come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I actually, I remember when I first watched it, you, cause the whole movie you're, you're like, this is like a gangster with the heart of gold. And this is like somebody who, you know, is a good guy, that kind of thing. He, he no, you think that he is falling for Anna, excuse me, I keep saying Anna, but mm-hmm. Anna, yep. he is falling for her, but you don't realize that it's not just that it's also, he's a, he's an officer and right. he's trying to protect her. So I remember when I first watched this in the movie theater, when that's revealed, I, it, I, it was a, it was a big time reveal. I was like, Oh, and then everything like made sense in the film. What, what he was doing. Did you have that same effect uh, when you, when you, when you, when they revealed who he was a little bit, but not, not a ton. Uh, it didn't make sense in terms of 
you know, okay, that's how he got the girl out so quickly from the uh, the the, the, card. the whorehouse yeah. with the card. You know, they knew her name. They they went and got her. I don't know how they knew. They knew her specifically. They pointed her out. So I, that kind of made sense. That made it a lot clearer. It's like, how did he do that so slyly to only pull one person out? Because you'd think mm-hmm. they would just bust up the whole house. So I thought that was very interesting. Like that, that was like my one, like, oh, okay. But the whole th- other thing, I was like, all right. Never mind the fact that Nikolai has to perform under the watchful eye of, of Kirill or Kirill. Like, you know, it's like, uh, man, I don't know. Even if he wasn't, even if you didn't trust him, how are you expecting anybody to do that in front of you like that? Because he wants, because <laughs> he obviously wanted well, to see it. He wants it, to yeah. watch him. Yeah. yeah. He, he wants to watch his, <laughs> somebody he has a crush on. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, uh, can I, am I done now? Get out of this room. I'm not changing in front of you. <laughs> Although I found the whole setup, the twist at the end made it more interesting to me. Like I wanted more at the end after that. Like I, I was really hoping like it is a shorter movie. I was surprised how short it was which as like. well, um, which is nice. They don't me they don't go on too long, but I was kind of like, that ah. it's very tight. So yeah. Yeah. I kind of wanted more. I want more. Like I want an Eastern promises part two. I want to see what's going on now that he's a captain. Of, mm-hmm. He's a cop. Who's also now in charge of an entire crew of the Russian mob. I think is, is that's an interesting angle right there in and of itself. Well, he's not yet. That's the plan. I, I mean, I don't know if he's still, when they show him at the end sitting down, I assume Simeon's been arrested, but his brother, his son, excuse me, is probably the one in charge. Right. At that, at that time, he's probably Kirill's just right-hand man. But right. Kirill's kind of a pushover. So I'm sure he's more, mm-hmm. we're looking at Nikolai as more the, the main guy. Mm-hmm. Well, there was going to be an Eastern Promises too. So, so a sequel was, sequel was planned, but they never, it never happened. It just never materialized. Right. And I, I want to say one of the notes I had was that Cronenberg uh, mentioned somebody in the focus features, one of the studio heads was like, ask him that he's the reason why we're not doing it. So, so they had it planned. But it never happened. So yeah, no, I agree. It wouldn't have been interesting to see his story progress. Yeah, um, you know, because you don't you don't want to waste those stars above his chest, above his heart, and the stars <laughs> on his knees. Yeah, I thought that was a good scene when when Yuri's trying to tell him, you know, we got to pull you out. Everything you've done, it's just been too much. And he's like, and he pulls down the the hospital gown to show the stars. Like, then you're gonna waste these. Yeah, it's just like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> Because, you know, Yuri's like, he he knows that he has to say, you keep going. Because that's probably the deepest they've ever had somebody in an organization like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I has permanently scarred his body. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's in there. Even if they try to get him out, they try to, I'm sure they would try to find him and kill him. You know, you can't just walk around after that. And he's not going to go undercover to any other family. Because now he looks fake, like that. No. If he was ever to get out of that, they'd have to fake his death. They'd have to take get rid of all his tattoos and they have to move him somewhere where no one can ever find him again. Yep. Like, and it, you know what I mean? And it would be, it would, I mean, I'm sure they would be able to do it, but that's what they would have to do uh, just to pull him out of there. I'd have to send him to uh, a first class uh, hotel in <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> uh, the end of the film. Did you have, did you think he was going to kill the baby? Oh yeah. I thought that baby was going in the water. I was like, because yeah. it's a Cronenberg movie. I was like, all right, uh-huh. now we're going to watch a baby drown. This is going to be uncomfortable. This is Cronenberg. All right. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, it was definitely, 
uh, when I first saw it, I, I, it was definitely like, oh my God, what is he? He's not going to do that, is he? But yeah, but that, look, they saved the baby, everyone at the end. Um, but in the original script, Nikolai actually reveals himself, reveals his double agent status to Anna. And the baby is sent to Tatiana's grandmother to live uh, in Russia, in Ukraine, I think. Uh, right? No, that was where the, the, the prostitute was from. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in Russia. And because uh, he mentions that, you know, uh, that the town is not a great town for a girl to grow up in. And, you know, it should, she should, the baby should stay with Anna. Right. That's the, but they changed it. Do you like the change? Do you think that that's a good change for this film? Or do you, would you would prefer the original script ending? No, I like that he doesn't reveal himself to Anna. Because if he did, that would mean like, oh, maybe we can be together at some point in time. But he's he doesn't reveal that he's not a member of the uh, the mob. Goes back. That leaves you with that shot, which I really like that shot where you pan it and he's in the restaurant all alone. Got an even nicer suit than he had before. Just kind of being, you know whatever the consigliere equivalent is in the Russian mob, mm-hmm. basically uh, just kind of sad that he's stuck there. And then you get the other happy ending where Anna's got the baby. Also sending mm-hmm. the, the baby back to Russia. Like you said, they mentioned earlier, it's just sending her back to this life of possible prostitution. You would just create a cyclical ending, which I don't know if I would have liked. What's the yeah. point of saving the baby if the baby's not going to be saved? Right. Right. Well, let's talk about, the bathroom scene, because that's the big scene that everybody's got. Everybody talks about. It's the big scene. I believe Roger Ebert talked about how this scene is the benchmark of this film or, or of this kind of cinema or these kind of movies. What'd you think of it? It was okay. <laughs> uh, I think the fighting was all right. I think the, I think they tried to hide his dong too much. I mean, I think uh, it was I for mean, 2007. It was probably like, Oh man, but I mean, come on, just go full frontal if you're going to go full frontal. Um, and it, I wasn't, mean, it wasn't as egregious as Beowulf where they were hiding behind giant candles. That's true. <laughs> um, but I was because maybe it's because you kind of shaded it with, oh, just wait till that bathhouse scene. I was waiting <laughs> for it to be a little scene. bit more uh, rated X than it was. Um, <laughs> but I would also have liked it if it was done in one take, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the multiple takes kind of hurt it. I think doing it in one take all vulnerable like that when you're naked, I think that would have made it punctuated it a little bit more. Um, But I do like how messed up he gets. And I like how he kills that second guy with the blade in the back of the head and he goes all purple. Yeah. You, you, you have all that, you know, all the special effects they have to deal with in terms of the, the linoleum knives that that's what they're using to slice them up. Right. Uh, so you, you, I mean, I guess that's probably where you're having the cut. So that scene was choreographed with the actors, no stuntmen. So it was just the actors doing that. So there was no stunt people working in that scene and they, they, and how they train each actor trained in a specific fighting style chosen for each character. So they all didn't fight the same way, all different styles, kind of like in John Wick, how he fights that one way, Mm -hmm. that kind of grappling way that he fights, you know, like no one else fights like that. So they're all different styles. And it took two days to shoot the entire scene. And there was some discussion about whether he should be clothed or not. But Cronenberg and Mortensen both agreed that no, he should be in the nude the entire scene. Right. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And and the whole thing about, did you read the note about the, the, why there, there was no guns in the movie, why they were holding, why in that scene specifically, why they had the linoleum 
cutters. Did you hear that? Did you read that note? Uh, no, I don't think I did. Okay. So there's a note with this movie that, um, Cronenberg didn't want, didn't think that they would walk around with guns because obviously if the, if the police stopped them, you know, the guns could be, you know, it would be an issue. They could get a gun charge and all that right, stuff. Right. So, but if they had these, they had these linoleum knives that if the police stopped them and said, Hey, what are you doing? Like they say like, Oh, we are, we work with flooring. We work in linoleum. These are knives that we use to cut them up. Right. So it was just basically a way of, you know, just avoiding police involvement. So I thought that was very interesting. And I, I actually like the, the absence of the guns because knives and, and that, that up close stuff, uh, is is much more visceral on film and it's much more tense right uh when you're watching it so i think um i actually appreciate that 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 note and i appreciate that choice that Cronenberg made for this film did you what do you think about that i think we talked about it in it might have been our layer cake episode that mm-hmm. when you take away guns you help to place it somewhere outside of the united states or was it the uh you and mcgregor movie Oh, shallow grave. Yeah, it might have been shallow grave. Uh, either way, there's it's such shallow a shallow grave. Yeah, it, there's such a proliferation of guns in America, and mm, good or bad, what? it's not. This yeah. is the first time I've heard of this. Right, I'm not taking a stance on the no, on the podcast, but it's just that's America, and that's how everybody views America, and that's how Hollywood views America itself as well. And when you take away the guns, you're automatically helping to place it in like London or somewhere other than you know, the good old U S of a where not everybody's walking around with a, with a gun on their back. Uh, so I think that helps add to the London atmosphere. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not, I am also not taking a stance, but it's <laughs> absolutely accurate. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely, that's absolutely correct. Uh, good or bad. You know, we all have our opinions, but yeah, no, that's not, that's not, not wrong people. That's what happens. So Ugh, anyways, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it, it, that's, but I, I liked that choice and you know, I, like I said, I thought it made a lot of the scenes a little bit tenser, uh, or more tense is the word I, uh, the phrase I use, which if that's correct, I don't know. I can't speak. Uh, <laughs> so I gave you some background. I know you said the scene was, uh, what you said about the scene. I actually still like the scene. I think the scene really works well. Um, I like the fighting styles. I like the, I like the fact that they're fighting and he just throws those two dudes that is for some reason remained in the bathhouse uh, at, at, the, oh, at yeah. the guys coming he's, at him. He's yeah. a cop until he's about to get stabbed and he's about to throw two mm-hmm. baby Please. innocent guys right at the guys. He's broken laws. He's already, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. So we already know he's broken laws. I like that the one, guy who gets, the one guy who gets thrown gets out of there. But the other guy just yeah. stays in the corner like watching the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk about um, well I will talk about so during the production, Mortensen would, did you read this note? He would be in his room and he would mm-hmm. leave the TV turned on to a Russian channel all day and night. And he would even leave it on when he was sleeping. So he would be immersed in it. Right. To get ready for this film. He actually traveled to Moscow and St. Petersburg in the Ural Mountain region of Siberia. And he spent five days out there without a translator. He read books about the gangs, about Vori versus Zakone. I, I probably said that wrong. Zakone, mm-hmm. which is thieves-in-law. He he. He learned about Russian prison culture and the importance of the tattoos. He, he tried to perfect his character's Siberian accent and he learned his lines in Russian, Ukrainian, and English. And the beads that he has that he's holding, those worry beads that he, that he has, mm-hmm. are made in prison from melted down plastic cigarette lighters. And he decorated his trailer with copies of Russian icons. What do you think about that preparation for this role that he, went, that he undertook? 
I think that's cool. I think that helps, especially if you're playing someone that's so far removed from you. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the I think Russian culture is it's just so very different from, you know, Western culture. Uh, so I think that you have to do that if you're not steeped in it, if you don't have relatives in it, I think you have to kind of do that. I think traveling alone to Moscow and St. Petersburg and Siberia without a translator is a little nuts. I don't know if I'd do that. I'd do that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's cool. I mean, that he had the balls to do that. That's, that's neat. <laughs> uh, but I think that helps keep you in that kind of mode as long as, you know, He's not going around, you know, giving anybody the snake, uh, the snake neck piercing. Oh, the, explain explain that. Go, explain that. So I guess if you insult somebody, it's basically a death mark. So in the film, Anna's uncle, um, after she has given him the diary and he does not return his part of the deal of giving away Tatiana's uh, family's address. Step on. Yep. Uh, yeah. So step on comes out, spits on uh, Nikolai. And calls him basically a monster. And Nikolai takes two fingers to his throat and hisses, kind of goes, and then points at <laughs> Stepan. And Stepan kind of knows because knows he's from Russia that that's a death mark. Basically, death or exile is his only choice. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of been marked by the Russian mob, basically. By Nikolai, yeah. 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 But, uh, the nicest Russian about, mobster. <laughs> I'm curious. Just I want to go back to Viggo Mortensen. Do you think that this is an accurate statement that I'm going to make? is that Viggo Mortensen is underrated by audiences in terms of his uh, his talent. Yes. Do you think that that's accurate? Absolutely. Uh, I'm not, yeah. He, um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's underrated. I think people in Hollywood and people in studios really know that he's got massive chops and he is extremely talented. But I, I for some reason, audiences do not laud him as much as they do other actors and performers. And I don't know if that's because he hasn't won an Oscar I don't know if that's because he ha- he's not in films that are massively successful. I mean, he was nominated for Green Book, but he it, Green Book was not he was not the person that people you know gravitated towards in Green Book. That was Mahershala Ali, right? You know, Lord of the Rings is not about him. It's it's about Peter Jackson and the, the Hobbits in in that movie, um, and it's not really. I mean, I know people love Aragon. I get it, but I'm saying that he is not the first one that is lauded for that for that film. He was nominated for Captain Fantastic, but I know you haven't seen it. Nope. And I, <laughs> and I know a lot of people haven't seen it. But like that's the thing. Like he gets nominated for these movies, but they're not popular, and he's just not talked about in certain circles with other actors. And and I don't know. I, I kind of think that's messed up. I think he should be no. Cause I think he's the stuff we just talked about and what, how we, in this film, I think he's fantastic in this. He movie. is. He absolutely is. You, he loses and, himself kind of in this role for sure. You're a big, you're a guy who hates people who screw up their accents. So I'm curious, what did you think of his accent? His accent was so different from any, like the Russian accents I always hear. And what I learned in school when I learned my Russian accent um, was more like a Moscow kind of accent. So I'm mm-hmm. not, his was Siberian, but he was also very kind of very reserved. Everything sure. was like, he didn't open his mouth a lot, like literally like open it very, like he's very, very quiet about everything he said and how he said it. Uh, and everything was kind of like a half joke and it threw a smirk. He kind of mumbles, he mumbles a little bit like, hey, so you know, he's like that, like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I feel Pulses like a one liner out. Part of that's probably a Siberian accent, which I don't have any real experience with and part of that is also i felt he spent so much time in solitary confinement 
before I found out he, he didn't, uh, presumably didn't, I don't know what he did to prepare for his undercover stuff. Uh, but I, I, that's pretty much what I told you that he didn't, he didn't go in prison. No, I meant like his character yeah. who knows oh, if as right, a cop, right, right, he did right. go to prison for a little bit. He probably, he probably had to, to make it real. Yeah. Yeah. So like he spent so much time in solitary. So that's how I felt, why I felt he was so quiet and reserved, but I think he did great. Cause you know, I didn't picture him as Aragorn. I didn't picture him as any other Viggo Mortensen role. I pictured him as, you know, this Russian guy and his hair was slicked back. He seemed to lose a lot of weight for it. Uh, he's very gaunt. Um, so no, I think he did a really, really good job. And his body language was great. Always mm. poised, always just like a doorman. He was always in control. He's a driver. So right. he was always, you know, but he was always in control. And uh, even about his accent and how we, uh, when he's talking, when he spoke with the, um, when he talked to the prostitute that, that Kirill made him have sex with, he actually, when he was speaking with her, she's Ukrainian. He was speaking Ukrainian to her. So his, he changed his dialogue, his language changes in the movie uh, for that brief scene. To match hers. Uh, so, right. Yeah, yeah. She was speaking Ukrainian. So he was speaking Ukrainian to her. So I thought that was, I, I, I just... Like I said, I think that he is very, he's underrated. I think people love him. I think when the people watch movies and they see him, they, you know, they go, oh, he's really good in it. But right. then it's kind of, kind of like the concept of this podcast. He's forgotten. And I think that that's unfortunate because he is somebody who's really, really strong. And it's like, if you see him in a movie, you're not going to get a bad performance. That's how I feel. But I feel like that's um, also partly what he chooses. He chooses Hollywood films, but he chooses blockbuster adjacent Hollywood films. He chooses sure. this Russian mobster film. He's not going to do an Italian mobster film. You know, he mm-hmm. does an a post-apocalyptic movie like the road, but that's like a super yep. depressing slow burn. You know, he does films like that, or he's Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, which is an ensemble. Although he was picked up like two days before shooting for that one. And that, that's a blockbuster that it's a big movie, but it's also a, it's, it's based on a series of books that are timeless, that are books that are. Oh, right. Like you, know, you said, it's, you know what it's I mean? bigger than him. Yes. So he's not. Yeah. Even if, you, if, like you said, if Aragorn's your main character, like if he's your favorite character in the books or the film, mm-hmm. everyone else is going to have a different character that they really relate to and to, uh, gravitate toward. Well, he's not going to be in a Marvel film. That's the, he's not going to be a new, he's not going to be uh you know, the Rick, Rick, Rich Reed or Rex Reed from whatever it is. I don't even know. From Fantastic Four. What is that guy's name? Uh, Reed, Richard Reed? Reed Richards. Reed Richards. There we go. Reed. God damn. Yeah, that guy. He's not going to be in the Fantastic Four. If he He's got, not going to be in a no. Marvel film. Because uh, he doesn't want to be. If they gave him a juicy enough villain, maybe. Sure. That would be more oh, like he, what listen, he would be. And if he chooses it, fine. You got to make money. I get right. it. But, I, but he chooses roles that excite him. And that's great. Right. I just don't think that that should be held against him when people think about great actors in our, in our time. I don't think, I think it's held against considered. him so much as it's just not held at all because he's forgotten. When I say held against, when I mean held against I him, you. I mean, people don't think about yeah. it. That's all. It's not, it's, you know, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, so, okay. So we're kind of in the same, uh, I think critics know how good he is. Oh, for sure. Uh, and he keeps yeah. getting cast and stuff. So like you said, obviously oh, yeah. Hollywood knows. Oh, he's, yeah, exactly. What do you think of, what do you think of Naomi Watts in this film? She was, she was fine. Uh, I think her character, (laughs) her character does a lot of stupid stuff that I just can't Mm -hmm. see any logical person. I mean, she's supposed to be intelligent. She, she's a, she's a midwife. She works at a hospital. 
but she's literally going up against the Russian mob and talking back and keeps going up to them and getting involved, which is clearly going to put her family in danger. She just makes a lot of choices that I don't find realistic. So you think in the beginning, when she first finds the diary and she goes to that, you think in the beginning she knew that these were the Russian mob. I think she'd have been pretty stupid after the conversation in the kitchen at the Mm -hmm. end, not to know that they were part of the Russian mob, that they were at least somehow connected. Maybe not that he was the guy, but Mm -hmm. that he was connected to whoever the guy is. Right. And I just think that that's very foolish, especially being Russian herself or of Russian descent with actual Russian family. And she does find out, you know, at some point in the movie and then she becomes defiant of it. She's never really the only, I guess she gets afraid or scared when Stepan disappears. She, she gets concerned, but I still don't know if she becomes afraid because she Mm -hmm. confronts Nikolai right in the hospital room. Right. What happened to my uncle? But even like the scene before she's telling uh, her aunt, whose name I can't remember, unfortunately, uh, that she doesn't believe that Nikolai would hurt him. Well, you're also, you're also having that connection between the two characters. Like she feels something for him and she knows he feels something for her. So I think that's probably what she's alluding to. So I think there's that emotional romantic connection between the two of them, which is why she trusts him. Now that's not really spelled out so much in the film. That's kind of something that we're inferring from us watching. So to that point, maybe if they made a little bit more of a reference to that, then you would have, you know, you could buy it a little bit more. But on the other hand, Mike, on the other hand, it's like, we always talk about, we don't want to be spoon fed in film. So, you know what I mean? It's us discovering that. And I felt a lot of this film was not spoon fed to us. We had to discover and figure out a lot of things, which I appreciate. No, absolutely. Because the one thing they do tell you is the quote unquote, what I'm calling the mystery, but obviously not a mystery because they tell you right up front uh, what, what is going on in this world right there. But like you said, the character relationships, what's going on, why everyone is in, it's more why everyone's in this situation than what the situation is that you have to figure out on your own. And if they Mm -hmm. had a more romantic relationship, I would have, the movie would have been so ham fisted. That would have been something that a Hollywood executive would have absolutely just said, you have to have this in there. Mm -hmm. You know, their one kiss at the end was enough. Yeah. No, agreed. 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 Um, yeah, she uh, Watts had spent because we were this whole conversation. Part of the conversation started about Naomi Watts, but she had spent time at the Winningham Hospital for her role as midwife. I'm sure. She, I'm sure it was just maybe a week or two, but um, I guess. If, I mean, she's not even in the hospital that much. And no, <laughs> she's got one actual you know? scene where she's where she's part of a procedure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess she was pregnant so, during shooting, though. She discovers she's pregnant yeah. while they, as, as, as they started. And I guess she was trying to hide it, but I, uh, the note I saw, I didn't write the note down because it was like, man, eh. but the note I saw was like the costume designer figured it out. Who's Denise Cronenberg? <laughs> yes. Nepot- yeah. Nepotism uh, yeah. much? <laughs> Please. I, I actually, I mean, uh, we could speaking of, let's talk about Cronenberg a little bit here because I was reading a couple of notes where um, people were talking about how Cronenberg is somebody who is, underrated as a director and i was shocked that he doesn't have like a a history of violence is fantastic i love that movie i still have to see that movie 
Oh, it's on our, one it's on our list. <laughs> Man, it dis- that, that's another movie. That's Eastern really Promises good. and History of Violence. I think Elise almost watched back to back or like very close mm-hmm. together because um, she had seen it. And she told me that she didn't like Eastern Promises, but I guess History mm. of Violence upset her. She found the violence in that upsetting. And I was like, mm. really? So I've always been interested well, to watch History of Violence. Well, it's yeah, it's I'm not going to say tell you anything, but, but <laughs> I. I w- it didn't upset me, but it's it's a good film. It's a, it's a really really good film. I like the Cronenberg um, stuff I've seen, so yeah, I've got no doubt. Well, that's, but, yeah, <laughs> but back to the, my point about Cronenberg. Somebody, he's very surprised he hasn't been awarded a lot or, or nominated at least. I think he's a director that does he he, he does different things. I I really a big fan of Existence. Uh, he does a lot of stuff that's out there. Maybe maybe not out there, but not mainstream. That's probably the best thing to sure. say. Not mainstream. But I think that that is devalued by some people because it's not mainstream. So they don't understand. But he is a very good director. And I think that that's missed a lot of times. And a movie like Eastern Promises and A History of Violence and even Existence to a point, even though that's sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, those films are always solid. And I, and I really like when I hear people who only watch, you know, mainstream films or films that, you know, are in the cinemas. Um when they start digging those films, it's like, go watch a lot of other Cronenberg stuff. Even though everyone loves to fly. Everyone the loves Jeff Goldblum and the amazing. fly, but they don't, they never, but you could say like who directed the fly and they'd be like, well, I don't know. Oh, the, the <laughs> fly works because of Cronenberg. The, the fly right. is hundred percent Cronenberg. Right. right. So, I mean, I know this, I, I didn't mean to do this to turn into a Cronenberg apologist podcast episode, <laughs> but honestly, if you like, if you like this film and you like some of the films we've talked about, go watch Cronenberg's films because Cronenberg's films are always solid. The one thing is and as a Trekkie fan, but and as a Trekkie, Mike, I know you love him. Well, yeah, he's on Star Trek. He's a Trekkie. So I think that's cool. <laughs> there you go. Could you imagine a Star Trek episode or a movie directed by Cronenberg? The episode would involve something going wrong with the transporter and creating some kind of monster, <laughs> but it would be, it would be good. It would be, it would be different. It would be good. I've been waiting for that since the first time he was on discovery. I was like, Oh, they're going to give him an episode. They and they have not given him an episode to do on his own. I think that'd be great. Shame on you. Or like Shame a short that. since they do the star Trek shorts. That's true. But That's do true. you think that people that like this film would necessarily like some of the other Cronenberg stuff? Do you think they'd get into crash? Uh, like I, maybe a history of violence is close to this. No, but. they would like a history of the history of violence, maybe existence. The fly is kind of, kind of mainstream horror, but not really, but that's nothing but like not, this. No, they would not do. They would not crimes of the future. I know is not people's cup of tea mainstream. I know that cosmopolis would not be something that they'd be into. Nope. Um, scanners maybe. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I hear you. It's definitely, He's definitely known in the horror genre and the horror world more than is than he is in mainstream. And I just but also I think, think West, the shock volume too. But also, but Wes Craven made that jump. Wes Craven did Scream, and Wes Craven did you know movies that were they were horror, but they were mainstream horror. I got you. And Wes Craven, Wes Craven gets all that praise. Mm-hmm. So why isn't why isn't Cronenberg? I don't know, but I will say exactly. that I think. If you watch this movie, you'd be more likely to be into something like, hey, you should watch Peaky Blinders or something else Stephen Knight did. True. I think oh, maybe. this is much more of a Stephen Knight because I think he's, Cronenberg is so subdued in this film. I think it's well-directed, well-performed, but this is Cronenberg trying to make a adult drama. I, I don't want to undermine what Cronenberg does, but usually you're his not, stuff is there to upset. 
in some way, even if it doesn't take place in a sci-fi world, something like Crash is there to upset you. Um, and I mm-hmm. feel like this is really here to tell you a story. Well, that's, and that's what I was going to say. You're, you're not under, uh, underselling him. I mean, a, a director's, I, I believe a director's first job is to tell the story that they're given. And it, you know, Cronenberg recognizes that and it takes, and I think that you're talking about the subdued nature of his storytelling in terms of compared to what he has done. Well, that's the whole point. He's telling the story that he's, that he's been given with this script and he's right. not getting in his own way. You know, some directors, some actors, some people are always concerned about their brand or what they want to make them look good. Or, right. Well, so I they have to throw this in, in there. Yeah. Right. He's not. And that's, I think that's a really, really solid directorial move and that some directors just don't, don't get. Which is why it was you very know, so. brave of him to not throw that baby in the water. <laughs> well, that, that would completely just throw the whole movie up, I think. <laughs> because <laughs> it's like that i just don't know how you ended at that point then like he'd obviously kill kirill yeah he'd have kirill, to yeah right he'd have to like then anna's gonna have to either he's either gonna have to kill her or he's gonna he has probably let her go and he, how is he going to explain to his bosses that you know the son is dead and he's still alive it would just be it would just be a shit show so yeah no he, he that baby had to live <laughs> <laughs> um did you know that the Semian character is actually based on a real life russian mafia boss i did uh, yeah Semyon moglovichum nice. i said it wrong born in kiev in 1946 and he actually once owned a restaurant so there is some basis for that character maybe just by the name and his position um, but I thought that was very interesting. This actually won best film in the 2007 TIFF, uh, Toronto international film festival, um, uh, was the audience prize for best film. So I thought that was really, uh, impressive, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, film festival success doesn't often equate to box office success. Correct. Yeah. So I got a couple more notes here and uh, you know what? We talked about the sequel that never happened, but if you watch the film, small dark look starring Jason Statham. That's actually the script for the sequel turned into a different film. Oh, what was the name of it? Small dark look. And that was Stephen Knight said, said drop this note said that that script is actually what Eastern promises Two was going to be. They probably changed some stuff, but that was what it was going to be. Or that's how that script started and was started as a sequel to Eastern promises. Oh, now I got to watch that movie. Yeah, please. You're not even in development. It's not out yet. Oh, what? No, oh, it's still okay, being there made. Go. There you go. That's interesting well, because uh, Jason Statham is also attached to the not a sequel, but kind of a sequel to Layer Cake that they kind of had to oh, redevelop. That's right. That's probably just like, would you do this movie? He probably was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nice, nice catch. Nice catch there. Awesome. So I want to, so we both like this film, mm-hmm. right? We both enjoyed it. I'm going to give you a review that does not like this film All right. and i want to hear what you have to say about this so this is from bruce westbrook of the houston chronicle and he gave the film one star out of four damn and he said it had a he said it had a contrived plot and what it's really about more than sensitivity for displaced people or social analyses is violence hideous gruesome over-the-top violence for cronenberg such cheap sensationalism is business as usual and this far into his career, that business has slipped into artistic bankruptcy. This movie isn't about Russian gangs so much as Cronenberg's own dark passions, not just for violence, but excruciating carnage, which he brandishes mercilessly. And the film is a stifling descent into grim shock and disturbing awe. 
that that reads like somebody who just doesn't like Cronenberg's movies and just wanted to rip it. <laughs> is he watching the same movie? No, I, that, that this is this, this is this is yeah, this review is why people should never <laughs> look at two reviewers uh, as the end all be all of how you should feel about a film. There's barely violence in this film. A couple throats get slit. Then there's the bathhouse scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's there are so many more mafia movies that are far more violent crime movies that are violent. This is not a movie about violence. This is a movie just because yeah, <sighs> the two the two most the two things that are that pop out to me in terms of that are uh, violent are the throat slashes. That's it. Yeah. Which I mean, I, you don't see the knife go through the, when he puts the guy's head onto the linoleum knife. You don't see the knife come through the face. It's like it's just in the back of his head. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's not a super violent movie. The violence is no. not the focus of the film. The film mm-hmm. is about these people and their situations and, you know, the horrors of existing in this, in that world. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a false. I also find it very ironic that a guy from Texas is talking about too much violence. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's again, like that's a review that he doesn't like Cronenberg. So he's just going to take any chance he can get the crap. Basically. On him. And, you know, that, yeah, that's why I don't read reviews in terms of, I like reading reviews in terms of like what other people think of the film when we talk about it, but I don't go to review you know, to, to decide if I'm going to watch a film. Right. The only time I ever go to reviews is if I'm watching a movie and I'm just unsure about what happened, what's happened in the film or like the theme, or I'm just like confused about something and I need to read other people's thoughts to kind of figure out, okay, wait a minute. That's what it's about. That's the only time I ever do that. I don't ever go to it to be like, Oh, I want to see this movie. Well, let's find out what this guy says. I don't care. Cause that's, Houston Chronicle better say this is all right. Otherwise I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So we haven't even talked about, cause I think this is a a interesting part of the movie uh, that it's almost like a little mini movie is the relationship between Carol and his father, Simeon, just kind of like that back and forth. The, especially the scene when he tells him to go downstairs and get all the brandy and don't, you know, and take a while. Take a while. Yeah. And then, you know, he basically asks uh, Nikolai, like, what happened? Did everything, did you get rid of Stepan? And he says, yeah, he's gone. And then Nikolai goes downstairs and like, Kuro's like, you didn't think I'd notice? Because that's the scene when he offers, he tells Nikolai, it's time for you to join the family. Yeah, now that you've done that. Yeah. You're going to be a captain, not just join the family. Yeah. Right, right. And he's like, you didn't think I knew? Like, he's playing it off like he didn't know. Uh, what did you, th- what do you think about the father son dynamic? And did you, did you, did you want more of that? Did you think it, it took away from the main story? Uh, I wanted a little bit more of it because I think that would have played more into is Semyon the father father or is Kirill. And I feel like you don't get to know that. Um, like you don't really get a chance to figure that out. So I feel like I would have liked more of that because I feel like it would have added to the mystery of which one of those two is the father, um, which you do get for maybe 10 minutes in the movie. And then it's revealed at Semyon's kid. Cause even if Kirill is homosexual, you might think, Oh, well, Simeon could still have forced him to have sex with her, just like Kirill forced uh, Nikolai to have sex with the prostitute earlier. So that would have helped for that back and forth. But I kind of like that Simeon still, in his own way, kind of tries to protect him. Like when Nikolai goes, well, I don't want to say it to you. He's queer. And mm-hmm. Simeon's just kind of like, yeah, I know. I'm pretty sure it's yeah, London. He's heard things about him. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he's not like shocked about it. And he's still, you know, his son's still his son. He might think he's a little bit of a screw up. But, you know, he's still trying to protect him. I still think, and it's 
what the movie kind of shows you is that he promotes Nikolai just to get Nikolai killed as the captain of their gang instead of Kirill. So he's still trying to protect his son at all times. So I thought that was kind of an interesting relationship. It's kind of like a messed up mafia family relationship, but he still yeah. does care for his son. You know, he's not disowning him or anything like that. Uh, well, now, well, you you know that like while uh, you can almost see what would happen after Simeon gets arrested, gets sent away, uh, Kirill takes over. And then Nikolai starts fostering the rumors of Kirill being queer, being homosexual. And that's something that in because in that world that can never happen. Right. And that's something. And, and, you know, people will be like, well, let's get rid of him. And then you could take over Nikolai. You can already sense that that's what's going to happen. That's how Nikolai will go to power uh, because he will be someone who is trusted and they will not trust Kirill. And you can just tell that Kirill is not a good leader and he's going to make the bad decisions. Right. Never mind his, never mind his, uh, his sexuality. That has, that has, that's just something they're going to use as an excuse, but he is clearly not a good leader. You gave Fredo he's the, not, uh, <laughs> the Godfather. <laughs> on it, seriously. He is like Fredo. He's like a, he, he, he puffs his chest up like he's tough, but he is absolutely not tough because he's a weak character. Yep. Um, and again, that has nothing to do with his sexuality. That has everything to do with him as a person. He's a he's a brat. He's a spoiled son of somebody who is powerful, and he just he just earned his way because his father's super powerful. Yep. So yeah, no, I, I you could definitely see where it's going to go. So what do you think is the reason why we're saying it's forgotten? Then why are we putting this on? Well, we're, the podcast. We're saying now it's fifteen years old. There was never an mm. Eastern Promises two. It's a crime movie, which kind of buries it. It's a crime movie mm. that doesn't have that. I feel like if it had that Cronenberg intensity, if it had that Cronenberg ultraviolence that this Houston Chronicle reporter is accusing it of having, I think that would have helped it stand out. Uh, it does stand out in the fact that it's a Russian movie. You don't see a lot of movies with the Russian mob, especially the Russian mob in London. Uh, that's it's an interesting location. Like, yeah, it's usually like or the Armenian mob in New York City or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. That's kind of cool, but I think that also distance it in the legal way that is, is this for American audiences, which is going to be your big market, uh, mm. but obviously not for like Chinese markets because it's again, also not something they can really relate to and it's not big spectacle uh, for either audience. Uh, and again, Viggo Mortensen, while I think audiences like what he's in, he's not a big draw because oh, who knows why? Again, we just spent like, the entire podcast asking about it. Yeah. So I think that hurts it. And that's probably part of why it's forgotten. Although you would think with Stephen Knight's success with Peaky Blinders, maybe some people would go back and watch some of his other crime stuff. Well, it's only been 15 years, so you never know. But also I, I, this is something also that we always get not flack, but we always get people uh, because a lot of, a lot of our friends are always our movie guys, movie movie people and people who love movies. And they're always like, that's not forgotten. I go, yeah, no, I get that. But like I, in my new position, Mm. uh, you know, I, I work with a lot of people that are younger than me and they don't know a lot of the films that I reference and they've never seen them. And like they are, they could never even heard of them. And I think that this is one of those films that if they're not like, if they're not, if you're not a film aficionado, if you're not somebody who loves film and cinema and you eat it up, this is a movie you don't know about. And, and, and even though it's 15 years old, you just don't know. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the reasons like uh, that I, one of the reasons I like this podcast is that for people that are in their twenties or, or, and they're just discovering movies, they may never know the, about all these films that, that we talk about. Uh, yes. People our age. Yes. People who love film. Yes. They do know about this film, but not, not many, See, not many do. Even people my age, I think this is basically a year after high school for me. So this mm-hmm. isn't going to have, this wouldn't have piqued their interests back then. 
you would have had to been a film nerd back then. Yeah, to have wanted been, to you know see I mean? this movie. Yep. Right. And and to be fair, like when I was when I just left high school and I was working at the theater and I started in college, that's kind of when I started watching a lot of this stuff. And I would watch like two films a night almost. Like just just uh, what I went I would double feature all the time. I'd go over my buddy, I'd go over Keith's house, my buddy Keith's house, and I'd stay until like there like four a.m. in the morning, four thirty-five, or we'd watch like three movies. That's what I did. That I just I loved watching films. Right. So I would just eat all of it up. Not everyone's like that, you know that. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was, that's why these type of films get lost. So. I don't know what I'm saying there. But anyway, where can they find us? <laughs> you can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com because we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and videos we got going on there. Uh, also on the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook in the lobby. Let us know what you guys think of Eastern Promises. Give us your best... Uh, throat points i guess uh at some of the things we <laughs> said during this if you disagree please, please don't we're not um, we will not be posting a photo of us doing that that's <laughs> gonna be the entire commercials just me pointing at you and you pointing at me over and over no, and over again yes yeah, so i will get targeted by the mob <laughs> so i don't need i don't need that smoke oh so i'm not tattooing you on our commercial no, that is not happening <laughs> we're not getting stars of over we're not doing any of that nonsense uh that's all i got Join us next week. We're actually we're, we're actually not going 2005, two years earlier than this film, but we're changing. It's a completely different genre. We're watching a musical. Uh, we're doing Reefer Madness, the movie musical starring Kristen Bell and uh, Christian Campbell. I know Butler's never seen this film. I have. Nope. Uh, so we'll, we will we will talk about that next week. <laughs> and until then, everyone have a great week. Uh, I am Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler, and this has been Forgotten Cinema. Hello there. General McMillan. I was expecting a podcaster of your abilities to be a little older. Anders, you're shorter than I expected. No need to be so uncivilized. I'm Anders. That's Colleen. Join us along with our co-hosts, Daniel and Flo, for yet another Star Wars podcast. Because the internet can never have enough nerds talking about Star Wars. This season, we're headed, hopefully briefly, back again to the edges of Tatooine's Dune Sea to explore the new series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. We'll search our feelings for what we know is true, that changing your first name from Obi-Wan to Ben is the most effective cover story in the history of the galaxy. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.